Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagore. I'm the product specialist for Skywatcher, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. Um, if you're just joining us for the first time, the What's Up webcast takes place every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific, right here on the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. And we cover everything from equipment to what's up in the nighttime sky to helpful tips and tricks to advance your observing and imaging capabilities. And then the last Friday of every month, we have a special guest on to talk about whatever their specialty is. Um, so again, if you're new here, welcome. If you're coming back again, welcome back. And we're happy to have you on. Um, Today we've got two friends of ours. We have Steve Koenig and Scott Tucker from Star Arizona. Many of you are probably familiar with them uh, as far as like the Hyperstar. Uh, it's probably their most famous product of all. So we've got them on here. We're gonna be talking shop, um, checking out some of the stuff they currently have and maybe see what's coming out in the future. So uh, without further ado, I'm gonna shrink my head here up into the corner and I'm gonna pop them up here. So, hey guys, how you doing this morning? It's good to have you on. Good, hey man. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, uh, thanks for uh, taking, I know any everybody in the telescope industry right now is just swamped with everything. So thanks for taking the time out of your morning to show us what you guys have um, otherwise. So. Yeah, man, thanks. So for those of you who um, might not be familiar with these two gentlemen, maybe you've talked to them on the phone, haven't seen them in person. Steve is on the left, Scott is on the right. Um, and at the end of the webcast, about the last 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how um, busy we are today and how much time this takes up, um, we'll do a, a live Q&A at the end of it. So save your questions uh, for them at the end and we will get to it. Um, so, Steve and Scott, the, I normally like to start off the webcast the same thing with everybody else is, you know, how did you guys get started in astronomy? I think it kind of brings it back to how uh, we all got started in this hobby of ours. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll start yeah, cool. because uh, I want to. <laughs> um, I, so my first experience with telescopes was when I was about seven, I remember coming out for Christmas and there was a Mead 10 inch on an equatorial mount sitting in our living room. I was hoping for a bike. Um, I had no idea what it was and I was shocked. I was like, what is this thing? I look over and my mom comes out and she looks at it and she's like, what is this thing? And then my dad comes out and he's like, look everyone, what Santa brought us. <laughs> and that was my first experience with the telescope. And then that was kind of steamrolled my dad's obsession, getting AP refractors, obsession Dobbs. And so I just, I grew up around it. Um, and then working at Star Zone at a young age, um, you know, assembling them, helping people understand stuff. But um, for me personally, where I got very passionate about it was, um, I think going to college and taking some courses around history, like 1700s period, learning about, you know, old astronomers and what they learned with just observation got me really excited. And then I also, at the same time, was getting into photography. And the first time I put a, you know, a cannon on the back of a um, C-11, I took a picture of um, 
uh, the Orion Nebula. And the first time you see like the trapezium just like get little shoots of green and red, it was like a 20 second photo. It was a terrible photo, but your excitement of feeling like you kind of discovered it yourself for the first time. I think that's when I got pretty hooked um, right at that point. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Michigan, which is not the astronomy capital of the world. And, uh, but I remember just, you know, I've always been an absolute science nerd. And uh, I remember having just this little red Tasco reflector telescope out in the backyard in the snow, you know, the rare times it was clear, just looking at, I didn't even know what to look at. I don't think Saturn and Arcturus would set in the West over our house and it would twinkle like crazy. And now I'd be like, the seeing is terrible. This is awful. But when you're like 10, you know, it's a cool thing. And uh, ended up uh, moving to Arizona for, for college for astronomy and, and just have sort of been obsessed with it ever since. I started getting into photography and I've taken the pictures and, you know, I just, I always want to know more about how things work and things like that. So, you know, I just started learning about, about you know, designing telescopes, making telescopes and, and everything. And it's just, uh, you know, the obsession is sort of snowballed from there. Addiction, generally the, Addiction. the next terminology beyond that. But um, so Steve, you brought up uh, an interesting topic of it real quick. And for those who don't know, Steve, your dad owns Arizona. Like he's dated it. My daddy. So, um <laughs> So, and that's Dean, for those of you who have not met Dean, he's the man. Yeah. Um, when did, so obviously you told the story of when the telescope first appeared in the household. Um, at what mm -hmm. point after that did it start where it's like, I want to have a, a store? Because that's a big jump. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was, um, we were living in California at the time uh, when my dad first got into astronomy. Um, and... When I was about 12, so that was like seven when we got that first telescope. When I was about 12 um, is when we moved to Tucson, Arizona to start um, start a telescope store. And it wasn't, you know, focused on manufacturing or anything like that. It was just a passion for it and wanted to be in one of the best locations, you know, um, you know, just the consistency of weather and dry here, make it really good. And so, um, yeah, we, he packed up the family, moved us out here and he got a job. He had a business out, out in California. He uh, had a pool supply company he owned, sold that, came out here. And, um, then he was working, um, full-time, uh, you know, as actually a maintenance person somewhere and, nights and weekends as soon as he got off work he'd drive to the store he opened and at nights would do you know viewings and stuff and he did that for years um just worked his butt off till um it really started taking taking off and he was like the only employee and then he got so big that my mom became an employee and then um and then scott was the first employee and um yeah i i i moved to arizona and 97 and and remember uh i actually went to a the amateur astronomy club meeting and i won a door prize from star arizona uh it was a cd-rom of space shuttle pictures because it was <laughs> 1997 and there were cd-roms and space shuttles yeah and so i went uh i figured okay i'll check out this store and i had at the time my my telescope was just a little mead etx 90 non-computerized little telescope um and uh, I went into Star Arizona. I bought, I think, an eyepiece, uh, uh, 
for the for the telescope and then I just started hanging out because again I mentioned I'm obsessed with astronomy and uh, eventually I just was hanging out enough they figured they might as well just give me a job and make me do something useful and I've been uh, they've been stuck with me ever since. Meanwhile I don't think I got paid till after college I was there taking trash out for years man. (laughs) Intern. Yeah that's right I'm definitely the intern there. Yep. So for those of you watching, the trick to get into the astronomy industry is just show up at your favorite shop all the time and don't leave them alone. Right. That's basically how it works. Insider trade secret right there. If you're going to be here, do something useful, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Star Arizona, it's a telescope shop. There are many telescope Mm -hmm. shops across the actually kind of Fortunately, they're kind of disappearing, but that's a whole other conversation. But you guys have kind of, you guys are still a shop, but you've really switched gears into manufacturing your own products, um, which I think is what, well, actually what we're kind of focusing on here today anyway. Um, but how do you get into that position to where we're going to make the jump from just selling what all the big big manufacturers make to, no, we're going to make our own stuff? Um, you know, well, we did, you know, we would, when we were basically kind of more closer to our capacity now, we had viewings four nights a week. It was Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Friday, Friday, Saturday. Saturday. And right now, pandemic aside, we'd normally just do Friday and Saturday. Um, so I think what really happens is that we are training so many people, like so many days a week come in and we help them from the ground up for the first time using a scope. And when you see that firsthand experience over and over and over again, you start seeing these places where people really always struggle. And so I think part of the manufacturing came from us realizing, oh, we could make something to help people here. um, You know, I think the actual first product we made was the Hyperstar 11, but the around the same time was our landing pad. It's just this kind of simply designed plate that sticks on top of a a Celestron tripod for their GPS series and then their CPC series. And uh, it was, we didn't, you know, we don't make a lot of money on that thing. Um, In some cases we've made zero money on that thing, but it's more of a passion thing where you just know you get someone Uh, who's picking up this big telescope and they're trying to find this pin to get their thing mounted and you realize like there's got to be a better way and yeah. and then I think yeah the yeah. I mean the, you know the, the specific example of the landing pad is the Nexstar 11 is big heavy 70 pound telescope and we had a, a specific customer way I mean this is you know probably almost 20 years ago that we had this customer who said you know we you know recommending maybe you should get an eight inch telescope because it's an 11 inch telescope and you're like 75 years old and maybe it's going to be a little hard for you to get around and he looked at me and said well you're not any bigger than me and you can lift it and I'm thinking yes but I was like 24 at the time I'm like I don't want to lift it now I'm 43 I don't want to lift that telescope <laughs> and so he got the telescope and then he's like came in complaining that like he was crushing his wife's fingers as she was trying to guide it onto the tripod in the dark underneath this thing and and Dean was like well maybe we should invent a product that will help people and people love it and you know so there's just things like that where we've tried to help people out and then Uh, i guess the second thing would be that there's like a a deficit in the market too um for example the fast star system came out 
and it really, you know, they made the the eight inch GPS. Celestron is them. They made the eight inch GPS and the the eleven GPS Fast Start compatible, um, but they didn't release the the Fast Start eleven inch for ever. Like so, everyone was right. calling up and like, "Where's where's our Fast Start eleven? Where's our Fast Start eleven? Like, I don't know. It's coming. It's coming." And that's not you know to rag on them. It's manufacturing is hard and optics is really hard and unforgiving. So um, they were just trying to busy you know getting busy trying to make it right. And that's when you know we you know, saw that as a, a really good opportunity to get involved and, and kind of offer a product when people wanted it and it didn't exist yet. That's basically the birth of Hyperstar at that point. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And that's, for those of you who I'm sure are watching, Hyperstar has been around for quite a while. I've known you guys. I got my first serious telescope I think I got from you guys when I was, I don't even remember at this point. Um, but I remember going down to the old shop, um, mm-hmm. and Larry was the guy who helped me out. Um, who was so helpful, um, not with us anymore, but he was awesome helping out. And then you guys moved to the new shop, more space. Um, but Hyperstar has been around a long time, and it just I feel like over the last 10 years, it's exploded, um, you guys, beyond that. And um, for those who are watching and might not know what hyperstar is can you kind of explain hyperstar real quick yeah so on the uh celestron schmidt cassegrain telescopes they offer the ability to remove the secondary mirror from the front of the telescope and then the light goes directly off the primary mirror into the camera and that requires a corrector lens uh to do that and and celestron had originally made these fast star compatible telescopes back in the late 90s they were making these scopes and at the time there were like two ccd cameras for amateurs and they had sensors that were like minuscule tiny little things and so the faster only worked with, with these very small sensors and very limited and then they came out with the 11 inch scope that had the compatibility like steve said but they they didn't have the lens for it and so uh you know dean had started wondering could we improve on this design? Could we make something that was better that worked for all these telescopes that worked with bigger cameras and things like that? And, and so that's where that came from. And so the, the ability to put that camera on the front of the telescope makes the telescope 25 times faster than it is natively. It goes from F10 to F2. And so you get this wide field of view, very sharp images and, and much faster. And so you don't have to spend hours taking pictures. It takes minutes. Uh, you don't have to be as perfectly polar aligned and all these other things. It's much more forgiving. And so it really allowed a lot of people who never did imaging because it would have taken all night to, to take a picture to, to really get into it. And, and just in a matter of minutes have these pretty amazing astrophotos. Yeah. And at the time, um, you know, one of the, I mean, we really sold these mostly for alt as systems like fork arm systems. And so we'd say, you know, no polar alignment, no guiding, you know, in a, 20 second photo you're going to be amazed and just take a bunch of 20 seconds and we'll stack them in post you know um and you said you were going through some old data you found your original photo from yeah there was a an original photo i found from a probably the prototype or very early hyperstar 11s uh, taken from the star arizona parking lot with a uh it was a picture of the dumbbell nebula it was taken with a uh celestron's pixel 237 hilarious 
by today's ridiculous. standards camera we, we still have one. that had like a, a tiny sensor in it this this round body that plugged into this box the size of a laptop with a, a parallel port it was a briefcase yeah exactly and it was and and so all of this was on this telescope and and that first picture was i believe from like 2002 so we're we're coming up on nearly 20 years of of having made the hypershock yeah, that's crazy and they've no, evolved over time to be, you know, better optical designs and then collimatable and rotatable and all these things and cover bigger sensors and stuff yeah. like that. We're in the fourth generation now of, mm-hmm. of I was going to say, yeah, I was going to bring that up as now they're, you guys are, the whole line, I think, now is on Gen 4 um, at this um, mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, I've, I've owned several Hyperstars and played with them thanks to you guys. I've got my c14's hyper v4 hyperstar right here um so yeah having a 14 inch f what 1.9 um mm-hmm. astrograph is ridiculous so, um <laughs> that's what we strive for in all of our projects absolute ridiculous. utter ridiculousness, uh, utter ridiculousness. <laughs> star zona's <laughs> trademark <laughs> it's kind of true <laughs> <laughs> we do what no one else wants to do Oh. Yeah, yeah, they're too smart to try. <laughs> um, we don't know. We don't know any better. <laughs> uh, so that's cool. So you you've got the the hyperstars, and they work on which models for those who aren't watching the. Uh, so the um, Celestron six, eight, nine and a quarter, eleven, and fourteen. If you bought a brand new scope today, um, it will absolutely work on any of those. If you have an older um, American-made non-fast star, there were American uh, fast star, but a lot of them um, were not. You can get conversion kits to you know make your secondary mirror um, a fast star compatible style uh, system, but natively you wouldn't be able to. Um, to just throw one on there without some kind of conversion there. Um, but, no. but pretty much everything made in the last certainly 10 years yeah. is, is, At is, least, yeah. is compatible. For sure. Yeah, I still have, I had to convert my 14. Um, so this is my 14's original baffle before I did the yeah. conversion. Now it's a cup holder for screws and wrenches and stuff like yeah. that. So I have a couple of those we too. Got, we have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And it's, and once it's converted or once you have a scope that's already compatible, switching from the Hyperstar to imaging at the back of the oh, scope yeah. or visual takes 60 seconds. It's yeah. super easy switch. Easy. There's no need to adjust the collimation and stuff like that. It's just uh, Celestron's made it easy to remove and replace the secondary mirror. Uh, and and so it's it's not a hard thing to, to swap back and forth. Very cool. Now, obviously, um, Hyperstar started it, but now you guys have all kinds of different stuff out there and mm-hmm. i know scott you and i have known each other for a while you've become kind of a brainchild of a lot of these optical creations you yourself have gotten into to optics um but right. who or and how do you guys come up with the idea for these new optic i guess it spurs across what you originally said where if mm-hmm. you see something missing in the market right or an answer that doesn't or a question that doesn't have an answer mm-hmm. you look to create Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it is, is you know, where where is there something that people would find useful that doesn't exist? Um, I mean, a lot of it is me sitting in front of my computer, coming up with 
ridiculous designs. I must have hundreds of designs that that are utterly unpractical and and will never get made. And every now and then, you know, I strike on something useful. And uh, you know, uh, Steve and Dean are definitely idea guys. Uh, you know, they'll they'll come up with a concept and say, "Hey, could we do in the this? middle the, in the middle of the night?" <laughs> right. And uh, I'm laying in bed. I'm like, Scott, oh my God. What if, what if we did this? And yeah. I usually say something like, no, that's probably, probably not doable. And then usually an hour later, I'm like, okay, I figured out how to do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the, a lot of pestering, like, hey, Scott, when you have time, I have an idea. Yeah. It's like, Here's this is going to sound <laughs> stupid, but what if? What if? <laughs> I should just make a shirt that says, hey, Scott, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh that's that's going on definitely yeah. um well and i think you know some of the things that kind of popped up i was thinking of like the like the night owl reducer was one of mm -hmm. these things where we you know we wanted to we it kind of sucks when someone comes in and not everyone has the same means right not everyone could just throw thousands of dollars at this hobby and they come in like hey i want to start astrophotography you're like great buy a thousand dollar hyperstar and like we we understand that that's not inexpensive, um, and for someone in, coming from cameras, like thousand dollars for a lens, like that makes sense, especially if it's eight inch f two, you know. But um, if you're if you're just coming into it, you know, so we wanted to make something that was really just more affordable. And live stacking has really picked up huge communities doing EAA, and so that was one of these ones where. Um, you know, we just grabbed every reducer in the market and played with them mm -hmm. and found their shortcomings. And we're like, what is the fastest we can make an SCT? Um, for, without Hyperstar. Without Hyper, yeah. Fast we can make it without a Hyperstar and the, the most affordable way. Uh, mm -hmm. And then is it going to be good? And that was one of these ones that really picked up. And it was uh, it was one of those ones where like, oh, it's, it's just not going to happen. We can't get F4. That's just not going to look good. And, and then send Scott on a... <laughs> spiritual journey and he comes back a couple days later and, and finds out we Would we can go, try you go it sit in front of your computer for a few days straight and just figure out a way to do it <laughs> yeah comes back into the shop after like four days in the desert with a shirt wrapped around his neck and right yeah exactly <laughs> i've done it so um, it should be ob obvious from this lighting and my lack of hair that spending four days on the desert would be a terrible idea terrible idea <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call our moon tan so. Yeah, that is exactly right. <laughs> I can't even go out when the moon is full. <laughs> ah, so, uh, now, I, I know you guys make stuff for the, the Schmidt Casa grains are really popular. Like you said, the Night Owl F4 reducers. I know you make the large format F7 reducers for, um, I think it's the 11 and the 14s. Yeah, there's one. Um, so if you're looking to speed up your 14 or 11, that, that sucker right there will do it for full frame. Um, then the night owls are faster, but smaller chips. Um, but we started having conversations about Skywatcher gear well, years ago at this, mm -hmm. because I Scott, I, uh, the last Tucson show that they had down there, there's only a handful of them. You mm -hmm. came up and you wanted an Esprit 100 and you have, you've had yours for a while now. And I know yeah. the constant question we would always get is when are you going to make a reducer? And um, that um, spurred the conversation for probably your, your next thing that's popped up recently, which is the Apex uh, ED reducers. 
um, which work on a large, and this is, that was in the works for a long time um, mm -hmm. for these, but can you tell everybody about the, the Apex? It's kind of your new hot optical creation, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am the proud owner of an Esprit 100, and again, because of the obsession, an Esprit 150, and I'm probably, you know, a good target for when you make an Esprit 200, you can take all of my money. And uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, the reducer would seem, you know, for refractors, we, the Apex is a, is a faster reducer than most that are out there. Most are 0 0.85, 0 0.75, things like that. The, the Apex is a 0.65 reducer. So it makes the Esprit 100 an F3.6 system, which is an incredibly fast refractor. The Esprit 120 and 150 become F4.2. Again, very fast for a refractor. Um, and and so that was that was something that was in development for a while. It was one of the, those things that that I wanted, you know, just for my own use, uh, and uh, uh, you know, became a, a pretty pretty popular product. Yeah, and I remember that one too. Was um, I I remember coming to Scott in like a, a few day period with a lot of ideas, and the night all being one of them. And then I was like, Scott, what's the fastest like not is it a good idea but what's the fastest <laughs> we could get a refractor and he's like it's funny you ask that <laughs> it just like, happened it just so happens i've been working well let me let me let me look through the hundreds of ridiculous things i've made yeah find one that might be practical and um so yeah and that was kind of a long journey too like you said um but it's been well received and we're really proud of it so. yeah and it works on on a lot of different a lot of different telescopes but the 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 esprits were definitely the inspiration for mm -hmm. it and um, that's kind of unique. You brought up um, in conversation, not here, um, but the apex because of how corrections work between the refractor. It also works on other optics too, doesn't it? It does. It works on uh, on RC telescopes, Richie Cretens, because it's uh, they have like an apo refractor has field curvature and off-axis astigmatism, which happens to be exactly the same aberrations that an RC has. And so it also works on that and it works on the Mead ACF telescopes, which optically are, are very similar mm -hmm. to, to an RC in terms of the, the aberrations. Yeah. And you make two of them. There's the S for short, and then there's the L for long. So if someone was looking to get one, they would just have to go off of the focal lengths you have listed yeah, so mm -hmm. if the focal length's longer than 500 millimeters, basically the L works. So it works on most of the telescopes, but on a, on a short refractors, the small 60, 70, 80 millimeter refractors that are under 500 millimeters focal length, we make the short version that's better optimized mm -hmm. to, to match that. Because uh, with the reducer, you can, you can compensate for some focal length change by changing the back focus. And so you'll see that the apex has a specific back focus recommended determined by the focal length of your telescope but once you get under that 500 millimeters you can't quite compensate and have it be good so there's a different different optical design for the short one that that optimizes that mm -hmm. uh, there's a real quick comment here um here's the thing i don't get you buy a scope and then you put a reducer on it so then it's not as powerful um that's um not necessarily correct um I don't know if you guys well, want I can, to elaborate. That. I can answer yeah, no, some I, things I, on I that. Mean, well, good. I mean, a really good example. Um, I talked to so many people um, who are like, "Should I get the 100? Should I get the 120?" Well, if you buy the 120 in this reducer, you have 
both, right? You have those two focal lengths now. So if you go large and you still want to get that wide field in there, then you're going to be um, pretty good. And I know the next comment is be like, oh, well, then your arc second per pixel is not great. Well, what you're going for is wide field and wide field can never really have like you know, it's generally, if you, so you put a camera lens on a camera and take a huge wide field pixel, your, um, your arc center pixel is going to be um, a little wonky, but at the end of the day, you're gonna be like, is that a pretty photo or not? And it, and it generally will be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you have a high enough focal length, then you can still get away with one camera having really good, uh, you know, yeah. pixel pairing and stuff like that. So. And, and it depends on what you're trying to take a picture of the, mm-hmm. the, you know, a lot of these deep sky objects are actually really big. And so yeah. you want a wide field of view. You actually want a less powerful mm-hmm. telescope in terms of power, meaning magnification. Correct. You want a wider field of view. And, and so if you're shooting for something where you want very high resolution, uh, you know, some small object like the ring nebula or small galaxy, then, then yes, this is not a, an appropriate system for that. But if you want to shoot, you know, the Horsehead Nebula, the Orion Nebula, the Rosette, the Andromeda Galaxy, the Pleiades, these are all really big objects that right. don't fit in a lot of telescopes because they're so big. And so you actually want the reducer gives you that wider field of view. Uh, the reducer is also a corrector. Um, refractors need a corrector of some kind to give a flat field of view. And so, so the reducer gives you that correction and gives you the wider field of view and potentially gives you the option, like Steve said, of using a flattener at a longer focal length, the reducer at a wider focal length and, and having a, a variety mm-hmm. of things that you can do with one telescope. Yeah. Uh, and it also makes it faster. That's the key for deep sky photography is you want a faster optical system. F7 is pretty slow right. and F4 is much faster and F3.6 is really fast. And so you're getting this wide field of view and shorter exposure times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know um, we have a lot of people coming in from the photography world, so it, it kind of right. comes into where you got a camera bag at home. You don't just have one lens. You've got, you know, right. your twenty four seventy for like the wide angle stuff, and then maybe you have your seventy two hundred for the telephoto things. You're never mm-hmm. going to have one lens that does everything. And it's the same thing with telescopes. You have to approach it right. like a camera lens. So, hey, my object is X degrees wide it's not going to fit i need either a wider telescope or you could if you have a reducer rather than going and dumping a bunch of money on a holding telescope which you're more than well we're more than happy to assist with um uh you could get a reducer and you could make your longer focal length shorter therefore giving you a much uh more eclectic reach of uh, capabilities with your and that's kind of the cool thing about the hyperstar is if you have like a, a c11 you can shoot at F10 at 2,800 millimeters, you could put F7 reducer on there, speed it up more, or you can go hyperstar and get your wide field all in one scope rather than you having mm-hmm. to have, mm-hmm. have a refractor and then this and all this other stuff. So. Exactly. Yeah. It's a way to do a lot with one telescope and not have to have, you know, as many telescopes as I have sitting around. <laughs> yes. Anybody who's in the professional world, like, we need more telescopes. No, no more. So. <laughs> only so many racks that fit in the garage so or for scott's sake floor space so and i know my mirror is taking up your kitchen so it's yes it is um let's see move it so another thing that you guys have been a fan of which kind of surprised me um at first but you guys really like the our little evo guide 50 it just and i know you guys created this little thing Mm -hmm the Evo FF, the field flattener for that. Mm-hmm. 
So I know you guys have had fun with that, and you kind of just did that on a whim all of a sudden. Um, but you've been Scott's been yeah. messing. Both of you have been messing with that one. So. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, first of all, it's the most adorable thing ever, and it, you know, it's 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 a fifty millimeter refractor basically it's designed nominally as a guy's scope but it's got ed glass in it and so a natural question is can i take a picture with this thing and uh like most refractors it needs a corrector a field flattener of some kind and so so we we designed one for that and we have a new version that's uh coming out here pretty shortly and it's like what you just showed um i mean this is it, it'll cover a, an APS size sensor. It can work with DSLRs. Now the new version has enough back focus. So it just looks like this little bitty inch and a quarter nose piece on the, uh, on the camera, but there's actually glass in there and that can just go in there. The focuser on the Evo Guide 50 is actually a really nice helical focuser, yeah. very smooth, very precise. Uh, and so this makes again, low power telescope, but something that can get you big field of view and also something that doesn't weigh anything so you can carry it around you can put it on a little mount like a, yeah. a the sky a star adventure sorry uh you know or something like that and take it out with you somewhere where you couldn't take you know an esprit 150 or a c11 or something big like that yeah and like scott said it was like well and going back to one of our other comments is that you guys kind of took a long time to make a flattener for this thing we didn't even know there was one ever coming um and so we saw a deficit and we're like, Hey, this is a cool thing. Let's take a picture with it. And so that's, again, you know, the necessity there was what kind of got us interested mm -hmm. and we liked it. That helical focuser, if you actually adjust that thing, it's like butter, it just feels really good. Um, and it's, it's still a small scope for guiding. Um, mm -hmm. but it's pretty well corrected just as is, um, for a small sensor, mm -hmm. uh, for guiding. So it, it works great for guiding. It's not, not very heavy. Um, and something that's great about it is, um, like now, you know, with our new version, you can put like a, you know, a little filter wheel and a camera on there and go crazy if you really wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I've got, I, you guys, I spaced out, but you guys have sent me some pictures, uh, on this. So this is the Evo. Yeah. Uh, this oh, is yeah. an oh, right. Evo. Get this, there we go. Right. Okay. Um, this is an Evo FF shot. I don't know how well it's, there we go. Sometimes it takes a little bit. Um, I don't, uh, looks like this was taken with a 294. Yeah, I know you've been using that. One of you guys have been using it, but that's, that's what an Evo FF with the flattener basically mm -hmm. does. Um, and I know it's only yep. a JPEG, but you know, stars are pretty darn good with that. And it's, it's just a tiny mm -hmm. little scope. So, and it weighs nothing. Yeah. It was a, it's an inexpensive thing. It would be a good way to get into something. It's similar, uh, you know, the focal pocket. length is 250 millimeters is similar to a telephoto lens. But if you've ever tried to take an astrophoto with a telephoto lens and focus it, it's a pain because they're designed to focus over a huge range and to focus motor, you know, to autofocus very quickly. So if you so much as just touch, uh, you know, the focus ring on a telephoto lens, you've gone way past focus. So mm -hmm. it's a, an adventure to do it. And so this is like having a telephoto lens. Mm -hmm. in terms of the field of view but with much easier focus and something you can also use as a guide scope and stuff like that yeah and something to kind of compare it to um is is the red cat you know the red cats are super popular and they're and those are great scopes have nothing against them at all um you know but same focal length it can't do full frame but it can do a 27 millimeter sensor and um it's a, a much more affordable package there for 27 millimeter sensor and that focal length so mm -hmm. if someone wanted the red cat feel but didn't have a full frame camera um or that budget you could you could 
go in on these two products and have a you know versatile setup there. Mm-hmm. We we jokingly call it the Jade Dragon sometimes. We have a I don't we've talked about it maybe a little bit. We have a new version that's about to show up. It's called the 50DX, mm-hmm. which is phasing out the 50ED. It's actually the same scope. We're just giving you more hardware capability. Mm-hmm. So it gives you the finder stock. Um, it gives you um, a V-style mounting plate, which will make it more versatile for this type of work. So those mm-hmm. are showing up literally any time. We're working on getting those um, on the website here. But um, someone, a real quick question um, regarding this. Um, one of you would probably know that. Is the Skywatcher or the 50ED going to generate a sharper image than, say, a Sigma uh, 150 to 600 on a DSLR? Um, I mean, I don't know the specifics of that lens, but my guess is it would because a camera lens is always a compromise. It has to be designed to focus close, to focus far. In the case of a zoom, uh, it it has to work well at 150 and 600, um, whereas a telescope is designed specifically to focus at infinity on the stars to look good. Uh, you know, you don't have to worry about bokeh and things like autofocused highlights and stuff like you do in a camera lens. So camera lens is even a very good camera lens is 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 not always as good as a as a, as a telescope. Even a much more expensive lens, even a prime mm-hmm. lens uh, that's much more expensive, may not be as good because it's just it's designed for other things, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not necessarily going to be perfect for astronomy because it has to be a you know a three hundred millimeter two eight you know six thousand dollar Canon lens uh, is actually decent but not right. great for astrophotography because it's designed to take pictures of you know tennis players and and you know i mean it's uh, it's just not what it was made for whereas something like this even though it's relatively inexpensive because it's designed specifically for that purpose it actually can perform better than uh, uh a telephoto lens and probably you know definitely better than a zoom lens that's a so much of a compromise yeah and generally um when you go into a, a telescope, they're just easier to focus. Um, they're easier to get like an autofocuser attached to them. And then um, another thing too, is if you have, you know, your iris and your, your camera is going to pr- produce these kind of starbursts. And if you want that, that's great. If you don't want that, you can't really get rid of it um, because of that. So. Um, now I know we're getting to the last 20 minutes here and it, it flies by real quick. So um, I want to leave room for some Q&A, too, because um, you guys' answers are really thorough, which is nice. Um, I know a lot of people are appreciating the really grounded information you're providing here today. But um, I know you guys have some new stuff in the works. I know of one, which uh, hopefully we'll be talking about here in a second. But um, what new? what do you guys see happening with where you guys are navigating in the future? Um, we'll do a quick one real fast here, um, which we've kind of talked about. We said all the hyperstars are now V4. Well, um, technically (laughs) there's one exception. There's one exception, which which we're about to remedy the six. Um, so now we have a new, um, hyperstar six. This is, um, my telescope, Rosie. This is, uh, my six inch. She's had some work done. Be kind to her. Um, but anyways, (laughs) the, um, here's our new six hyperstar V4 here. I don't know if you can see how much light is coming in there. Um, a huge difference um, from our last, uh, the predecessor. It, it used to have a 16 millimeter uh, image circle. And now we've bumped that up to uh, a cool 27 millimeters. Cool APS so format, the field of view is gigantic. Uh, it's outrageous. I think I might've sent you 
Uh, oh yeah, our, I do have a uh, one of our pictures. Uh, so it's an F two two hundred millimeter. Um, that's what the uh, ZWO twenty six hundred it looks like. So that's yeah, so that's an APS size frame. sensor. I mean, that field of view is gigantic. You're getting that at at F two. Uh, just super fast, uh, 300 millimeter focal length, and it's just, uh, uh, you know, it's a nice portable little scope, and and you know, to get that kind of kind of field of view is is impressive. And when do you think the new? Uh, that's always the question, right? Right now is you know when when do you think some of that's going to be available? I mean, you guys can pre-order, I guess now. Um, yeah, we're going to open that up real soon here, uh, but. It's going to be for sure April, um, maybe sooner, but April's what we're we're going Probably to be telling safe, people. Safe bet. Mm -hmm. yep. So basically, it's a 150 millimeter f. Uh, it's a 200. It's a oh, it's 150 millimeter aperture, 300 millimeter focal length f2. Yeah, f2. Yeah. Yep. F2. Yep. Oh. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for small, fast, and compact, done yeah. deal. So. Um, We've got some stuff that will pair well with that. Can't tell you guys yet, so um, we'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, so there you go. That's the new V4 C6 mm -hmm. Hyperstar. I might have to yep. dig up a C6 corpse laying around in the office somewhere and trade something in. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, and then you guys have something new for Skywatcher gear coming out, which mm -hmm. has been in the works for quite a while, and it's exciting to actually see them um, out there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, um, that's kind of the thing we were teasing with you guys earlier, is there is something new for Skywatcher. You guys sure. have been working really hard for it. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if you, want, if you guys want to talk about that guy. Yeah, well, we started with... Um... You know, uh, well, we, we've done just about everything you can do for Schmitz. And so uh, we jumped over to refractors. And obviously, a lot of that stuff um, is kind of modeled around and, and pairs well with Esprit and other Skywatcher products. So it only kind of makes sense that the next step would be for Newtonians. And so um, through a lot of a hard work, a lot of late night testings, um, and Scott's genius little little brain, we have a, um, a coma reducer corrector. Um, and uh, it's going to be killer. It's a 0.7 reducer coma corrector for um, for Newtonian scopes, and we've been testing them on the mm -hmm. Quattros um, mm -hmm. and getting feedback um, from from how those work and pair well together. And uh, we're very very excited about it. Yeah, it's a it's a design I've had for for quite a while that I've worked on and improved and and it's now to the point where it's just a very very good uh, optical design we're finally able to, to 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 make it a real thing and and been testing it it's uh, it'll turn an f4 Newtonian into f3 uh, again wider field of view but it's a coma corrector at the same time so most of the coma correctors that are out there are are 1x or even 1.15 where they increase the focal length of the telescope this is actually giving you a wider field of view but giving that same level of, of of coma correction uh, and that's a picture with the quattro eight uh so running at f3 again with the 2600 uh, zwo camera so aps size sensor and that so um here's my sample of it it's it's not laser engraved yet um but yeah so this if you have a quattro newtonian um one of our eight ten or twelves you can get a obviously you wouldn't be using our uh, F4 corrector, you'd remove that from the focuser, 
and you mm -hmm. pop this guy in there, and now that drops your quattro, to I guess a trace, is what we have to call him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it drops it to F3. Um, so um, that's that's kind of exciting. So now you're you're speeding that up. Um, quite, I've done the math on it. It's it's actually pretty. Um, the difference between those the F4 and F3 is actually pretty noticeable at that yeah, point right. too. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, if yep. you want a 12 inch f3 you could get a quattro 300 and check one of those on it and for probably under i don't know how much these are going to go for if you guys have priced those yet but probably for under 2500 you could have a oh, 12 yeah. inch f3 exactly, exactly. Yeah. it's going to be a, a way for people to get a pretty large aperture pretty fast optical system mm -hmm. for a, a pretty reasonable price and uh one one cool thing about it too is you know if you if you go the rasa or hyperstar route um you know there there's a limitation of filter wheels you can you know on like the hyperstar 11 and nine and a quarter and 14 put um say like the zwo mini filter wheels on those which is great but when you um when you go over to newtonians you don't have that constraint at all so you can have a, a as big a filter wheel as you want mm -hmm. Um, and have no problems with that. Yeah, so there's no, no obstruction from, you know, the, anything that's up on the front of the telescope, like there is with the, with the Ross or a hyperstar. So it's not quite as fast, but it does give you a little more, more versatility mm -hmm. and, and, and potentially a little more focal length if you're trying to shoot smaller, smaller objects. It's yeah. been a blast. I, I've been having a lot of fun with it right yeah, now. Yeah, that's what so. I really look forward to for a long time. Um, so I'm, I'm happy it's a real thing. It, it hasn't come down from my setup for a while now. So mm -hmm. it's oh. going to be a lot of fun. I have a 12 inch on the way, so this will go on that. So yeah, um, I know these are you guys like all of us are waiting for supply to come in. So these are probably spring availability for these two, roughly. Uh, um, I think it's also April. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, April um, is what we're looking at for for a couple yeah. of different couple of different products. So yep, that's probably mm -hmm. about right. But if you guys want to know more about them, you can call uh, Star Arizona um, for all their stuff because this is all their creations um i know um we might run a little long just because we have a bundle of questions coming in um we'll keep it hey if i'm answering call. questions here i'm not at work that's right answering questions <laughs> right we're, yeah, that's right that's exactly right uh first question uh did i miss something are you saying that you have an f4 focal reducer how is the vignetting on it i'm, ass I'm assuming this is for the Schmidt. Night Owl, probably. Yeah. yeah, you did miss something. Uh, we have a, a 0.4 reducer, um, and it, it has a 16 millimeter image circle. That's the that's the caveat there. It's it, the first intent with that was just for people who want to do live stacking and maybe smaller sensors. You know, they don't have like a, a nice mm -hmm. big sensor. Um, but what happened is it just it just took off. The people liked it. They started taking real nice photos with it. So mm -hmm. um, they're you know, I, there's almost like a porthole effect. If you have a too big of a sensor, you got to stay in that 16 right. millimeter. It's pretty, that's a pretty tough, you know, we're really shortening mm -hmm. that focal length up. So there's naturally- Yeah, from, I mean, from an optical standpoint, it's difficult. The stronger you make a reducer, uh, the more difficult it becomes optically. Mm -hmm. the, the reason Hyperstar is so fast is you're going off the primary mirror, which is already F2. So the Hyperstar is not technically a reducer, it's a, it's a corrector. Right. But when you're at the back of the telescope of Schmidt-Cassegrain, it's F10. And going from F10 to F4 is a huge reduction. Right. It's a very difficult thing to do optically. And so the limitation is it can only cover the smaller sensor. 
the vignetting is limited ultimately by the baffles in the telescope and Schmidt-Cassegrain, the baffle tubes are designed for F10. And so you go to F6.3 with the reducer, you go to F4 with an even stronger reducer, you're, you're going to be limited by that. So there is some vignetting with any reducer. Um, but if you take flat field images, that will go away. And if you keep the, the sensor size uh, on the night owl, the F4 to 16 millimeters, it's, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. And this is what that guy looks like right there. Um, someone asked, is there an Edge HD version for the Night Owls? Coming out. There has not been, but the, the new version there will be, yes. Yeah. Um, so. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um, they made a good point uh, as far as the baffle tubes. If you guys ever have a chance, most Schmidt-Cassa grains are F10s. So the baffle tubes are only, you know, so big. Mm -hmm. um, but if you ever get to see, like, a faster Cassa grain style, like these F8RCs or the Mead F8 uh, series or something crazy exotic like a Riccardi Honda's, you'll notice that baffle tube gets bigger and bigger. Um, right. Even on the plane waves and uh, uh, similar telescopes, the baffle tubes are bigger to accommodate yeah. those yep. bigger chips. So you have yep. to do some modifications. If you do that. Um, next question, how do these reducers affect back focus? Um, well, each reducer has a, a back focus that's, you know- Yeah, and that, that, that may be, that may be a question of the back focus from the reducer because uh, all reducers and flatteners have a specific distance that the camera has to be away. But the question might also be, how does it affect the available back focus on the telescope? Like on a refractor, uh, you know, the, the focus point is so far behind the telescope and the draw tube on the focuser is out so far. And if you put a reducer on, on a telescope, that focus point goes in, it has to. And so your focuser is gonna rack in. And so, so far with something like the Apex, we haven't run into really problems where you can't rack in far enough because most telescopes have quite a bit of, of back focus available, but that's, it, it is gonna push things mm -hmm. in. On the reducers for the Schmidt-Cassegrain, because you're focusing by moving the mirror, you're actually preserving that back focus in the sense by because you're pushing the mirror forward, pushing the back focus out. But then the the back focus, like you were saying, from the from the lens to the sensor, uh, is you know with almost all of our reducers, we design that to be at least 55 millimeters because that's what a DSLR and a T-ring is. It's a very standard distance. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of available adapters for for other cameras give you that 55 millimeter distance. So so we shoot for at least that much. And in in the sense of like say the apex where you use one reducer like the apex L, and you have multiple focal lengths with it. A lot of times people are used to if you if you did buy a refractor that came with a dedicated flattener, well it's 55 millimeters of the back focus. That's generally the the common thing. And the reason why is that they made that flattener designed for this one focal length, and at that focal length it's 55. If you were to take that same flattener and put it on a different scope to for it to actually correct which it probably still could you would have to drastically change in some cases your your back focus mm -hmm. you know uh, going in or outwards based on going longer or shorter so um that's why um like say the spree flatteners they're they're a fixed 55 no matter which one you have because it's a dedicated one for that scope you could take that off and put it on some other scope and it would still work but the back focus wouldn't be 55 and that's why like if you go to our website um, and look at the apex uh, reducers. We have a chart there based on what focal length you have um, and what back focus you'd need to achieve the, the proper right. correction. Very cool. Um, next question regarding the apexes. Um, do you need any special adapters for correct back spacing for the apex with the Esprit 100 or 120? 
um, which one would be ideal, be your ideal scope? Both. <laughs> Kevin insists that you have both telescopes. Yeah. First rule of government spending. <laughs> I have two. I have. Uh, you can have yeah, two at yeah. twice they the make, price. They make them, if there was one that was right, they'd only make one. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, getting the back focus depends on the camera that you've got and, and the telescope that it's going on. On the, uh, the Apex on the Esprit 120 and the 150, we actually run into the opposite problem, what we just talked about of the focuser going in. The focuser actually has to come out farther because right. it's already so long on those telescopes with the Apex that we make an extension that lets you uh, extend the focuser out and have a, a solid attachment for that. Um, you know, the advantage of something like the longer focal length telescope, like the 120, is you have the option with the included flattener of the longer focal length, and you have the wide field at the apex. So, mm -hmm. so it's 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 probably a good good middle middle ground compromise. Yeah, assuming that the you know the metric in which we're judging what the best scope would be for is um, maybe more focal length range. If it's portability, then you know we always say the best scope is the one you're going to use. And if it, if it's too big and too heavy, you're just not going to get as much photons in it because you're just tired or whatever. So as long as you're factoring in those, um, those kind of things, then, um, yeah. I know with the apex, um, I usually use the Esprit 120 because I have that 840 and then I can reduce it down and it gets me into the sixes somewhere. So it's more mm -hmm. multi-role, less change out on the mount. The 100 is yep. awesome. But the 100, even with the reducer, you're going wider and wider. And it kind yeah, of gets to the point of how wide do you need to go. Yeah, you're starting wide and going wider. It just it just depends on what you want. And I use that scope a lot, uh, you know, uh, for the for the wide field stuff. But, yeah. you know, I also have other telescopes I use for other things. So if that's, you know, if you're going to stick with one, probably a little higher is more versatile. Mm -hmm. Well, this one's going to be interesting. Um, are you going to make any anti-vignetting anti focal reducer for the 8-inch? I would love to use my 40 millimeter, 68 degree wide field eyepiece to have non-vignetting view at f5. Understand, Cassegrain? At f5. Yeah. So, so someone's yeah. saying make us a non-vignetting. 0.5 yeah. reducer for Schmidt Cassegrain. And, and the reason you can, again, is the baffle tubes. It's the telescope. Yeah. You could you could make the reducer, you know, six yeah. inches in diameter, mm -hmm. giant chunks of glass. And if you put it on a C8, the opening in the back right. of the telescope's an inch and a quarter or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so so ultimately the limitation in that case is the telescope. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's not, you know, our, our reducers, like if you look at the, we make a, a, a 0.63 reducer for the, for the Schmidt Cassegrain's, yeah. the SCT corrector. And it's it's in a two inch barrel and it can cover an APS size sensor. Uh, and if you look at the night owl, the glass in the night owl is actually a little smaller because it doesn't have to be as big because again, the telescope is limiting it before the reducer is. So there's no sense in making the reducer glass bigger than it has to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, and you keep the cost down on the reducer and stuff like that. And so so going to a fast reducer, even a, even a 6.3 reducer on a Schmidt Cassegrain is going to vignette over a, a, a two inch eyepiece or a two inch uh, thing. And it's, and it's simply because of the, the baffles and the telescope are designed for F10. Um, you know, in, in theory, you want to go in there with a hacksaw and cut the baffle down, you know, Don't that might that. help, but it also might not, not be right baffled right. anymore and you'll get straight light. So, so Sarazona does not hold anyone you know, we're not we responsible if you go hacksawing off your baffle tube <laughs> yeah. telescope. It's not actually going to work. <laughs> um, 
Next question. I can answer this one. Uh, any solution to minimize or remove the diffraction spikes in the Newtonian reflector or Ritchie Cretion? Um, don't use those designs would be the quickest answer for that because the light's going to hit the, the veins on the right. secondary support and there's no way around it. And if, I mean, there's probably ways to minimize it, which you guys know of, but you could, I mean, like if you wanted to get crazy, you could buy a spun, uh, spider veins, you know, ones that curve off like curved, curved spiders, but, but you'd have to replace what's in the, but that's just asking for a lot of work. Um, and I personally don't mind them. I think they're no, cool. A lot and, of people um, think diffraction spikes are pretty. Um, and it's the type of scope you have, you know, yeah. um, but, but yeah, if you look at, um, like Vixen has like spun or not spun secondary, but spun, Cur uh, spider veins, spider, yeah. they'll yeah. have like three instead of the cross. And so if it curves out at that, like half circle, 180 degree kind of curve, um, it'll disappear. But it, I don't know if that's worth that. If you really hate diffraction spikes, maybe that's just not the right scope. That's yeah. Then I would maybe say. refractor or something is a, right. a better idea. Yeah, so there's not not really a good way around that one without some heavy modification or custom design mm -hmm. of the scope. From right, the right, right. Yeah, so just get it in a Spree 150. Done. All all, all, all problems can be solved with a <laughs> really expensive telescope. <laughs> um, I know we didn't talk focusers. Someone's bringing up a focuser real quick. Any cheaper options for automatic focusers? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone knows uh, what's out there, right? I mean, uh, there's a wave of a lot of really nice red products. Um, the <laughs> EAF from ZWO is a really nice one. Um, and we do make a, it depends on what they're trying to get attached to, but, um, you know, you can put on a Schmidt now with certain brackets. Um, we might have something that is an accessory for that down the road coming yeah. out. And we do currently make a bracket for that focuser for the Esprit Esprits, telescopes. Yeah. So if you want to put that on the on the Esprits, that's an inexpensive way to get an autofocuser right. on those telescopes. Yeah, it's all yeah. metal aluminum machines yeah, that machine. we make. So that would be... You can stop emailing us on how to mount your EAF because... <laughs> you can start I emailing Star Arizona. Um, Star Arizona makes an adapter uh, plate, which I found out after the fact. I now have one. It... There, just buy their plate and you're done. Yep. Um, when will the Night Owl for the Edge HDs be available? I'm assuming that's... Um, yeah, letters. so we are on... We have spent so much time and money on on this product. Um, it's a This is like a real kind of a passion thing for me personally. And we just... I don't want to give someone something that's not perfect. The last version we had a lot of people would have been happy with it. And we just weren't, uh, we were just too picky. And it was it like broke my heart. Cause we've just, when you make this glass, like we spend a lot of money, you have to make molds. We have to polish this to a certain figure. Mm. And then you test it based on our ZMAX designs. And in the real world, there might be something that ZMAX can't quite account for. It's just something we're not aware of. And when you're like, ah, it's just not as good as, as we know it can be or it should be. Right. So and we've had we, prototypes that we've tested and we're just like trying to perfect, a lot of perfect the design and make sure so, it's right. Because we'd rather do something right and yeah. have people happy with it and, and have people, and, you know upset in the meantime that they can't have it yet but yeah when you get it it's gonna be awesome so and, <laughs> and so the thing is we we're on our last uh uh 
version of our prototypes for the Edge HD models. Um, and uh, it's it's looking really, really good. So we, um, we have one last test to do just to kind of um, be 100% certain for ourselves. Mm -hmm. and, and then we're just going to be making as much as we can, as fast as we can, because um, it's definitely highly sought after. And um, it's going to be a cool product. Uh, we're not going to jack the price up. Um, so we're going to try and still keep it uh, a more affordable thing for people. Uh, we have a handful of questions. You guys got a lot of questions today. So um, if you have any more questions beyond this point, uh, you can email Starzona directly or if it's a Skywatcher thing. You can email Scott at Starzona.com. <laughs> um, so yeah, reach out to them if you have any questions beyond uh, this point because we've still got a bunch I have to clear through. Uh, if it's anything on Skywatcher, you just email us or contact us directly. Um, uh, this is an interesting one. What about the coma corrector? Um, so the the new coma corrector, could you use that on one of the older uh, Schmidt Newtonians from me? Unfortunately, you cannot because a Schmidt Newtonian or a Maxitov Newtonian has less coma, about half as much coma right. as a regular Newtonian, mm -hmm. which is a potential benefit of that design. The disadvantage of that design is no one makes a reducer for it or a corrector for it. Uh, and so you're better off than a regular Newtonian to begin with, but mm -hmm. unfortunately any coma corrector for a, for a Newtonian would overcorrect the coma on a Schmidt Newtonian or a Maxitov Newtonian. Yeah. And, uh, and you'd basically end up where you were, but with stars pointing in the opposite direction. It, it's kind of like um, if someone's more familiar with refractors, like a Petzval design, you know, that is basically uh, like a, a red cat or a Takahashi, these already have flattening elements in the system. So you don't put re reducer cor or, or just not reducers, but uh, correctors on those because there's nothing to correct. So we don't want to put a flattener on a flat field. It's going to mess us up. And likewise, the, the Schmidt Newtonians are trying their best to give you the flattest field without any third accessories. So I'm sure one could be designed, but you're talking about for that scope yeah know, exactly no exactly it's not a it's a cool scope i yeah, 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 i think yeah. it's cool like that the f the 10 inch f4 like if you had that back in the day that was that was a great setup and it's still a good find a lot of people design. who had those scopes still do um right. but yeah it's just when you're yeah. making products and you need to sell them you need to make sure that yeah. you have a large enough market yeah. to there's, make it there's a million wild. regular newtonians out yeah. there and our corrector will work from from a six inch and, to a 20, 30 inch, whatever mm -hmm. you want to put it on. And so that's the advantage of that is there's just so many of those scopes out there. It's a, it's a, it's right. a and we can play to... more when we're not constrained by someone else's correction too. Uh, real, this is another one on the apex after putting an apex, uh, for my Esprit 100 and the 1600, uh, ZWO 1600, he's getting halos. Um, is there anything he can do to reduce that? Well, the halos wouldn't be coming from the apex. I, I would be curious about what filters they're using and if they can try to produce the the halos with and without the apex. Just you know, take the variable out of there. Just throw it on with the flattener. You know, take go take a picture of something ugly and bright mm -hmm. and just see if you can reproduce that. And it and it could be. I mean, halos are almost always a filter, right? And it may just be that if they're not seeing that without the apex, say with the standard flattener, it could be that the filters have halo issues at a faster focal ratio. Right. And so they may not be seeing that, but the, the apex itself shouldn't be, shouldn't be giving that if it's right. Um, you know, and, and a good test is just, you know, if you have a, 
I would say go to IR, your IR filter, or just go to a blank. If you have nothing there, just go straight through, keep it all attached with the apex. And if it goes away, then we know it's a filter issue. Yeah, but that's that's the most likely. And if it doesn't, give us a call. There you go. Um, I have an Explore Scientific ED80. Uh, What kind of reducer do I need or can I buy? And he has a Mead 10 inch F6.3, one of their faster older Oh, that's, that's fun. Um, the Apex uh, S. Apex S will work on the refractor. Correct. Um, unfortunately, there isn't anything for the, the 6.3 yeah. uh, Schmidt Cassegrains. The, the Schmidt Cassegrain reducers and correctors that, that, that are out there, ours or anybody else's, uh, will not work on that because the faster scope has uh, more coma and, and a different field curvature than the F10 ones. And right. so the, the reducers that are optimized for that won't work on that. Sure. Um, and then the final one, um, is the apex image circle really 30 millimeters and less? It is. It's, uh, uh, I mean, like with any reducer, you'll, you'll probably get a little vignetting with that and you take flats and that goes away. But the image circle, when people say image circle, what they're talking about is the, the sharpness, the image quality over mm-hmm. that, that circle. And, and yes, it, it will work with, with that size, um, you know, Bigger than that, you know, no no guarantees what's going to happen on the image quality, sure. and the vignetting does become pretty bad because it's only a two inch corrector. Uh, but but we use the twenty eight millimeter sensors like the uh, twenty six hundred chips, and works absolutely beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the just from a manufacturer standpoint, um, more often than not, customers are going to be using an APS-C or smaller mm-hmm. sensor. Um, so a lot of things you get people are frustrated because there isn't a full frame option. Um, there's not as many full frame shooters out there as you might think. Um, and developing supporting optics, especially reducers that can Mm -hmm. handle that big of a corrected field is difficult. We just came out with, um, full frame reducers for the 120 and the 150s threes, Mm -hmm. but they're not as fast as the apex. They will never be as fast as the apex as I. Right. So you're, that's the trade-off. I can either make right. it faster with a smaller circle, or I can make right. it wider yeah. with a slower f ratio. That's. And, and the other, and the other limitation is any full frame reducer has to be bigger than two inches to 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 cover that size sensor, and so the apex is, is a, is a two inch reducer. It fits on any telescope with a two inch refractor, which basically every refractor you can image with has at least a two inch, even the small ones have a two inch focuser. If we had something that covered a full frame, it'd probably have to be a three inch reducer. And then you're limited to sure, the Esprits can take it, but then, you know, the Explore Scientifics can, and these other refractors can't, can't take those reducers. Uh, so that was part of the thing with the, with the apex was, was keep it at the APS size sensor, make it work on all kinds of stuff. Well, cool. Well, I'm uh, Steve and Scott. I really appreciate uh, you guys taking the time this morning for everybody who's watching. Really appreciate you spending your morning with us. If you have any questions on Star Arizona and their products, give them a holler, either phone or email. Also, be patient. Everyone's really busy right now. So if you don't get in touch with anybody, um, someone will get back to you just be patient that's yep, for anybody yep. in the it's telescope been, industry exactly right now. we've all been crazy it's yep. crazy um and then of course if you have any questions on skywatch you can call us or contact us directly um if you like our webcast and what we're doing here go ahead and subscribe to our channel i know that's super youtube of us but that's that's how it works uh so thank you very much uh next week we are doing our what's up in february night skies um 
and yeah, uh, hopefully everyone's uh, has a good weekend. Uh, Steve and Scott, thank you very much. Uh, clear skies to everybody, and uh, we will catch you guys uh, next week. So take care, everyone.